This is episode 64 of the Millennial Life School podcast on understanding the criminal mindset with John Dawn and Sharon Kilon Han. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Millennial Life School podcast, where it's all about inspiring and encouraging 20 to 30-something-year-olds as we figure life out together. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I know it's been a while. I was honestly busy running season two of Life Mastery Bootcamp. And then right after we finished our last coaching workshop, I was abroad in Brazil for a couple of weeks and I was running workshops for students participating in 2022 Innovation Marathon for Good. And honestly, it was such an incredible experience and I would love to make a separate uh, podcast episode on that. But after I got back from Brazil, um, I've been just taking some time to slow down and rest and just celebrate all the good that has happened and just pray about what my next steps are. So that's all just kind of catching you guys up in a nutshell. And on that note, I wanted to also let you guys know that pre-sale for the next season of Life Mastery Bootcamp is now available. You can go to SharonKillonHan.com slash LMB to sign up. Oh, also, uh, another amazing, exciting news that I want to share with you guys is if you go to my website, SharonKillonHan.com, I have some new exciting things for you guys to try. It's one-time individual coaching calls and also an option for you to book a quote-unquote coffee chat with me. Sometimes coaching or starting a coaching package can be a little bit intimidating for people. So I want you guys to be able to try coaching out without feeling all intimidated or scared to try it out. So you can now book just one-time individual coaching calls. You can book a 30-minute coaching call or a 60-minute coaching call and just try it out. And if you like it, you can book a package. But I wanted to make it so that, you know, it's a little bit easier and more simple for you to get started. And also, you might be wondering, what the heck is a coffee chat? Well, that's for anyone who feels like you don't really need coaching, or you're not really sure, you know, what you might need coaching on. But with just love to book a call with me just to chat. We can talk about any topic you guys want as long as it's not inappropriate. And you can ask me questions or just ask me for advice or whatever you have questions about or things that you want to talk about. And if you are one of my podcast listeners, you probably know a lot about me by now. But I feel like I don't really know anything about you guys. But I know you guys are listening from all these different parts of the world. And I would love to learn a little bit about you and where you're from, what it's like living where you're living, and just get to know you guys. So whether you want to try coaching or just want to have a nice coffee chat where we just get to know each other and talk for 30 minutes, or maybe just for fun, you want to try everything. You can book these calls on my website at SharonKillonHan.com. And I'm so excited to get to meet you guys. All right. So before we get into today's episode, I want to share a little bit about this episode. 
The conversation you're about to hear in this episode is a conversation between me and John Duan. John was incarcerated at the age of 21, and he was sentenced to 15 years to life. And after serving 26 years in prison, he was paroled and now been given a second chance outside of the prison walls. We sat down together and he shared with me a little bit about his life story, how he grew up, and what led him down the path of a criminal lifestyle at a young age. And to be honest, before this year, I had actually never met someone or had a conversation with someone who used to be a lifer in jail. And in getting to meet John and attending a victim impact workshop put together by Fear for Breakfast, it really made me think about how there's a lot of people who are serving their time in prison with the possibility of being there for the rest of their life and how they're probably one of the most forgotten population for a lot of people out here. And I think the laws are there to help us understand the consequences of our bad choices and of committing crime. But the conversations and hearing the stories of people who actually committed the crime and have done the inner work to understand why they committed the crime and what helped them change their way of thinking and behaving will unlock a lot of wisdom to help us understand the root of criminal behavior and help people heal on both sides of crime. And I hope that, you know, with this podcast episode and you guys being able to hear his story and hear this conversation, I hope that it can help you to think about possible solutions and how we can help create a brighter and safer environment for the future generation. So I'm excited for you guys to listen to this conversation. And now without further ado, let's jump right into the conversation with John Dawn. Mom, this is Millennial uh, Life School Podcast with Welcome, John, to the Millennial Life School Podcast. I know it's your first time on my show. Just want to say welcome. We met at an event in Los Angeles, and it's just really cool seeing you do what you're doing. And I wanted to have you on my podcast to just share a little bit about your story, what you do. And it's just such an honor to know you and to have you on my show. So welcome. Uh, thank you, Sharon. Uh, so my name is Tuan Doan. And so... Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Just for the listeners, um, can you share a little bit about who you are and yeah. just share a little bit about your journey? Okay. So at eight years old, my parents decided to escape Vietnam. And so we left on a boat. And the journey mm-hmm. lasted seven days. Uh, we were lost in the oceans. About the fifth day, we ran out of food or water. And so uh, we literally thought we were going to die. Hmm. So imagine on the sixth day when we had no more water, uh, my my lip was chaps, I couldn't breathe, and every air I sucked was like draining my every liquid I have in my mouth. Mm-hmm. And by the time we were saved by the United States Navy, seven days later, um, I think the whole ship was actually like everybody was thought they were gonna die. Oh my gosh! Yeah. So when they brought us 
onto the boat. We were transported to uh, a refugee's island, a quarantine mm-hmm. island. Sorry about that. It's called Coco Island. Mm-hmm. It's a quarantine island. So we stayed there. And the island is beautiful, by the way. You can walk around the whole island within like half a day. Uh-huh. And the water, you can go like for uh, 200 feet and the water only comes up to your waist and the fish swim up to you. And I guess, I guess mm-hmm. the fish wasn't scared of us. Mm-hmm. They didn't know what we were. And so I remember living there and there was monkey and I was just free. Wow. And there was like, they didn't have no houses, so they have shack. They mm-hmm. built these shacks for the, for the quarantine people. And after about six months, they transported to the Philippine Island. Mm-hmm. And from there, we were sponsored to United States in 1982. Wow. How old were you again? I was eight years old. Wow. And so when I came here, I didn't speak the language or I understood the culture. And mm. so I had a hard time fitting in. And I was eight years old in the first grade. Mm-hmm. I didn't do well. ABC was hard. And so I yeah. flunked first grade. And by the time I was nine years old, I was still in the first grade. And, mm. uh, you know, being a bigger kid in the first grade... Uh, having other kids tease me that I didn't speak English really well made me feel like really low about mm. myself. I had a lot of insecurity. I, I had I would stutter every time I spoke in the classroom. I felt like uh, I wasn't smart mm. like everybody else. Dang. So you came to America right. when you're eight years old. Right. And from then, what has it been like just living in America and that transition? It was tough because I would live in a small village in Vietnam where there was no running water, there was no electricity. Mm. Uh, we live in a bamboo hut in Vietnam, so yeah. and I was running around barefoot, right? And so I felt like this, even though we were poor and extremely destitute, but I felt happy. Mm-hmm. I didn't felt judged. Yeah, yeah. Everybody else was just as poor as I was, right? But coming to America, you see people with nice cars, they have nice clothes, mm. and immediately you felt outcast. If I was wearing Goodwill clothes, I, sometimes there was no clothes. I wear mm. my sister's clothes because her clothes was cleaner. Uh, and so her clothes were the woman clothes. Mm-hmm. They had pink pants, different pockets. I didn't understand that it was different. I thought it was everything was the same. Mm-hmm. And going to school wearing woman clothes or having ripped up clothes, I was often teased. Mm-hmm. They called me Goodwill baby. And so I always felt that I was embarrassed, ashamed of being poor. Mm. And I always wanted not to feel poor, not to be embarrassed being poor. And so I always started to believe that, you know what, if I do certain things that help me aggregate from being poor, mm-hmm. that, that I can have status, that I can feel good about myself. And which is not true because even though you, you're happy in that moment that you have nice clothes or whatever, mm-hmm. it never satisfies the hunger of the need to feel important. Uh-huh. Wow. Dang. Um, and I know a little bit about your story from, you know, when we talked and stuff, but can you share a little bit about what your 20s were like? So, well, let's, let's start with the teens and before mm. I go to the 20, right? Mm. So in my teens, I was at 14. I was in middle school, I think, or uh-huh. high school. And I was admiring other kids that come in with a nice car and uh-huh. they dress well, you know. And so I was like, man, I, I want to be like them. I want to be cool. I want mm-hmm. to be popular. I want to have the nice car. And, you know, and so I start to feel like if I, to get that, I have to be a part of that lifestyle. Mm. Right. And so instead of doing what my mom say, go to school or study hard and become a doctor or a lawyer, whatever you want to be mm-hmm. school or even maybe feel I'm not wanted the uh-huh. people in school that made me feel the worthless already. So whatever she was pushing on me was not registering to my heart or mm. my mind. But those guys that dress nice, have the pretty girl and have the nice clothes, 
they attracted me because mm. I had to fulfill my unmet need of feeling accepted and yeah, loved and yeah. wanted. Right? And so I started hanging out with bad influence people. Mm. They became my mentor. They taught me how to steal cars and next thing you know, do uh, more uh, illegal activities, mm. which led me to going to juvenile hall at six years. I mean, excuse me, 16 years old. Mm. I went to uh, Y at 15. And by the time I was 21, I was so deeply involved in the criminal lifestyle and the gang lifestyle that I didn't even care about myself. I had mm. no. If you have no self worth, you don't have no self worth for yourself. That means mm. you don't care about whoever you hurt either. Mm. And so, by the time I was twenty one, I was incarcerated, arrested for murder. Mm. Uh, I was out with two friends, and they were being bullied and 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 uh, picked on by nine other people. By the time I got there, I saw them being bullied. Immediately in my criminal gang mentality, no, nobody's going to pick on my friend. Mm. I don't care if there's nine of you or three of you. We're going to have to do something about this. And so when they challenged my friend, my friend was kind of scared. He kind of like, you know, I don't want no problem. I felt like it was my, my duty to protect them. Mm. That it was my duty to, because I think it's going back to the time when I was bullied. Mm. I felt helpless. Mm. I felt nobody's going to be there to protect me. And so when I see them being bullied, the first thing I do is I went on to protect them. And my protection is kind of... I think overreactions. Mm. Either I felt like you're going to be the victim or you're going to be the victimizer and I wasn't no longer going to be the victim no more. Mm. And so when my friend pulled out a gun to threaten these guys to leave them alone, mm. they didn't. They weren't scared. They weren't intimidated. So instead, I took the gun from my friend and I pulled the trigger and shot one other person because mm. he was the one that was the most vocal, the most intimidating. Mm. And I told him, leave, us, leave him alone. He said, no, I'm not going to leave him alone. F you. Mm. And when he said, what F you, I took it as a challenge now. Mm. So I took it as, if I don't do nothing, I'm going to look stupid. I'm going to look embarrassed mm. in front of my peers. And so I said, I have to pull the trigger to show them that I'm not a, I'm not a punk. I'm not nobody. That's which mm. that, that led to my incarceration of 15 or life. Mm. So being incarcerated for 15 or life, it didn't change or deter my mental thinking, my work belief system that... I have to be tough. I have to be crazy. I have to mm. not show weakness and don't show, be intimidated by other people. So in that, my incarceration, I was, I came to prison violence. I started acting violent to mm. show people that we're not intimidated, we're not scared, uh, which led me to be incarcerated for 26 years. Mm. But after the 15 years, 18 years, I think five years before I was paroled, mm -hmm. I started to make a real sincere change about myself. So the five years before I was paroled, I made a sincere change by looking, reflecting on all the people I've harmed, how my lifestyle was, mm. and who did I impact by my mistakes. And it goes back to one time when I burglarized somebody's home uh -huh. on Christmas. I went to their home. There was nothing to stole, but I opened the present. When I opened the present, there was nothing but T-shirts, and, mm. and shorts. Mm -hmm. These people were so poor, and I can imagine they coming home from the from church, open it, seeing that the present open, and there was nothing. I destroyed that moment with them as Christmas. Uh huh. This was how old? I was like fourteen. Mm. Yeah, and so I I looked back, man. You know, I thought it was no big deal because I didn't take nothing, mm. right? But I opened their present, and they were just as poor as me. Mm. And their family put together a, a, a couple present for them, and mm. I took that moment from them. And so that made me reflect on all the stuff I've done wrong and I have to make serious change. And I said, not just to change yourself, mm. but how do I change and impact my community when, mm. once I get out? Mm. Because you change for yourself, in the end, you're just going to be selfish yeah. because you say, that I'm changing, that's okay, I don't want to bother nobody, mm. nobody bother me. But then how many other people that's going to follow my footsteps that's going to mm -hmm. make the same decision that didn't get the right yeah, mentorship yeah. to change? Yeah. yeah. Um, just a question. So... 
that 21 years old you, right. if he was sitting right here in this room with us and I were to ask him, hey, like, who do you believe you are? What do you think he would say? At 21? Yeah. At that time? That's open-ended question. So I can say that I can, at the time, I believe that um, hmm. I was bad as ass dude. Hmm. That I was not afraid of death. Hmm. That I, I want to prove myself to my peers that I was tough. That mm. I was uh, mean. That I, I have no empathy for other people. Mm. Because at that age, having respect was more important. Mm. You know, having respect and being fear is more important to me than anything uh -huh. else. Yeah. If he was here right now and you could tell him something as you right now, what's like a word of advice or something that you would love to tell him? Right. I, I think that if I can talk to my 21-year-old self is, I know you're going through some pain. Mm. I know there's things in life that you cannot change. Mm -hmm. But what you can change is how you choose to live your life. Because the moment you hurt somebody, you can't yeah. take it back. The moment you break that law and commit the crime, you're harming mm. a lot of people. Just because you think that you shoot a gun in the air, mm -hmm. you're not harming nobody. But in reality... You're hurting your neighbors. They're scared to go outside at night. Mm. Because of your criminal activities, people are afraid of being robbed. And so your lifestyle is going to hurt you, your family, and it's going to put you in prison for 26 years. Yeah. Where you lost your father, where everybody you know have disappeared. And so you have to think hard. Mm -hmm. Do I continue this lifestyle? Or do I have to say, you know what? I can ask for help. Mm. No matter how bad you're going through life, somebody's going through worse than you. Mm. Somebody's going through worse. Mm. Yeah. Um, you mentioned you were incarcerated for 26 years. Right. Um, what would you say is like the biggest lesson being in prison has taught you? My belief system, the way mm. I think. I think that if somebody guided me at 14 or maybe, like a little mm. bit younger, that the way I think back then would have been changed. Hmm. Like, I wish I could think the way I am today and go back like 20, 30 years ago. So it's my belief system. Uh -huh. that the biggest change in me is my belief system. That I no longer think it's okay to hurt somebody. Hmm. I no longer think it's okay to uh, to lie or devalue myself, you know. Hmm. And I no longer think it's okay to listen to somebody tell you who you are, define yeah, who yeah. you are. And I, I start to define myself now, who I am. And so the way I think that I have completely changed. I don't let wow. other people dictate how I live my life or who I should define myself. Mm -hmm. Today, I define my own self by what I do. Mm. Following that question of if the 21 years old you was here and I asked him, like, who do you believe you are? But like you right now, after years of just learning and growing and moving forward, mm -hmm. uh, if I am to ask you right now, like, hey, John, who, who are you? Like at a deeper level, who do you believe you are? I'm a, I, I, I know that I'm a person who uh, mm. respects other people. I have a lot of compassion, empathy for other people now today. I'm the person who cares about people and listen to their problems. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a person who's always willing to help somebody else in need. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm also mindful of my words, and how I can hurt people, affect people, and every action I take. Mm as that committing harms or benefit to other people. And so today I'm more thoughtful of other people and I'm more humble and mm. I do it. Like, like I said, today I would be able to say that I can ask for help. Mm -hmm. And that was one of my problems. I wouldn't be able to ask for help back then. 
And so today, I'm much, I'm much more understanding and compassionate person. Yeah, and like, what, what do you think is like that moment where like that actually like hit in your head? Because you know, you look at someone who is living a lifestyle and making bad choices that they know, like, hey, this is not good for you. This is not good for your family, and it's not gonna be good for your, you know, future generation. But they're constantly still every day choosing that lifestyle versus like coming to realize like, hey, you know, now I understand like the effects of my actions or like I understand like at a bigger level, like coming to that understanding now, what what do you think is like the the significant moment that happened or that realization yeah. that kind of hit for you? So, you know, as, as, I, as, mm-hmm. as I understand why I start to learn more about myself is that... Hmm. You, you, we all know right and wrong. Yeah. So we're all raised in a family that would teach you something is wrong, something right. When you harm people, is wrong. When you commit a crime, is wrong. When you're doing something, it's like hot. When it's mm-hmm. hot, don't touch, right? So yeah, we yeah. always have an understanding or instinct of innate ability to understand right and wrong. Mm-hmm. The problem is we choose to do wrong because it makes us feel good. Mm. What do you mean? So, for example, mm-hmm. I know stealing a car is wrong. Mm-hmm. There's a consequence for stealing a car. Yeah. Like if I steal a car, I get caught, I go, I go to jail, right? Uh-huh. Uh huh. And I'm away from my family, but mm-hmm. I still want to do it because stealing a car make me feel good because mm-hmm. I'm able to drive my friend around. I'm able mm-hmm. to do things with that car that I could never have because I see other people drive a car. Mm-hmm. So if I have a car, even the stolen one, I'm popular. Yeah. I'm important. So it boils mm-hmm. down to understanding. What made me feel that way? The need mm. to feel important, the need to feel accepted, the need to feel accolade, uh-huh. right? So once I start to understand that feeling and where it comes from, that's when I start to understand why I have to mm-hmm. change that, right? So the character defects I have, I created, but where that feeling comes from. Uh-huh. And so when I start to understand, wait a minute, I have to reverse that. Mm. So now when I look for acceptance, I no longer need... Well, and I keep on explaining to people when I ask this question, mm-hmm. you still need acceptance, right? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a, a vague trick question. And people say, no, I don't need acceptance mm-hmm. no more because I'm beyond the gang lifestyle. And I tell them, no, you still do need acceptance. Mm. It's just today I look for acceptance from my family, from my law mm. enforcement, from pro-social people. It's still there. The need is still uh-huh. there. But we transfer that need from something negative to something positive. That's it. Mm. And so you have to change your mindset by thinking, okay, why do I have to be angry? Uh-huh. Where does the anger come from? Or why do I have to still... What that still come from selfishness, right? Why do I have to steal, mm. right? Um, why do I have to do act crazy to get attention? Yeah. Well, those are the cause of my roots that I need to figure out why before I start to begin to change. Mm. If, if I don't understand where it comes from, I'm always going to behave the same way because, like I said, I know it's wrong mm-hmm. to get in a fight, but it feels good to get in a fight and win. Mm. Right? Today, if you challenge me to fight, I'll back down because you know why? I understand myself today. Mm. fighting doesn't make me a better person, right? But yeah. walking away from fight make me a humble person. Yeah. It actually make me stand out more. Mm. It sounds like um, your value system has shifted. Like, I guess, like, when you're younger, it was like, oh, like, I value that popularity. Oh, how am I going to get that? Oh, I need that car. Oh, I don't have the money to get it, so I'm going to steal. And because that still means that you're going to have that value something that you wanted but it sounds like right now like your value of like your character has shifted right completely mm. completely i uh, think that when i was in a criminal lifestyle mm-hmm. when i was in a, a gang lifestyle my value was important where mm. i value respect i value accolade i value uh, to feel important need mm-hmm. to feel important uh 
So my value is based upon what do I need to do to get me these feelings mm. to make me feel good. But today my value is more of servitude. Mm. I value community service. I value mm-hmm. compassion, empathy, and and my value have transferred into like you know what. The least we can do is spend some time with somebody and help them out. That's mm-hmm. the least, you know. And we can transfer that to other people. Yeah. What would you say to a young person who's kind of living in that mind space of like, hey, like I need to act crazy, I need to do this, I need to steal and like do all that stuff to like receive what I need to receive, or like someone who is who feels like is in that really dark place where you know they're they're not caring, like they don't have self worth. What would you want to say to that young person? I think one of my friends said it really well. Her name is Marcella. Mm. I asked her that question, right? And she, mm-hmm. said, she I asked her the question because she said she had low self-esteem. Mm. And I asked her the question, so how do you get your mm. self-esteem back? How do you get your self-worth mm. back? And she said that it's like it's like a sporting card, right? Uh-huh. You might be good at one thing, but you might be good at nothing. But you uh-huh. take the one that's good mm. and you tap yourself in the back. Mm. So you might not be good at one thing, but you might be good at something else. Don't, yeah. don't focus always mm-hmm. on the one that you can't do well, uh-huh. but focus on the one that you could do well. That way it helps start to build your self-esteem, your self-confidence. If you got a, mm-hmm. a C in math, but you got an A or B in English, mm-hmm. you already do something well. Yeah, so don't yeah. beat yourself down because you didn't get the all A's, right? And so like she said, I always find value in what I do good. Mm. So that way I can build myself because I can't wait for somebody else to tell me I'm good. Yeah, that's good. I think it's so important. And I talk about this in my coaching workshops too, like the importance of what where your focus is on. Because if like there were like nine good things, but one bad thing happened and right. you, your focus is on that one bad thing, you're going to say, oh, I had a terrible day. Right. But if you focus on all the good things that happened, right. Even like, yes, acknowledge that something bad did happen as well. But then, hey, like, but look, I also have a lot of good things. And you can build on top of that. And I feel like a lot of us, like, we're so good at focusing on that, like, little thing that we don't like about ourselves. And like, when we look at ourselves in the mirror, that's all we see. When we show up in social settings, we're like, oh, why am I like this? And we only focus on that one thing that we're just like, oh, like, I don't. Like, I don't like this about myself. Right. And when your focus is there, it's like, oh, no wonder you have low self-esteem. No right. wonder you you don't see all the good things because it's like that little thing is like up on your face. Right. And that's all you see. Right. Uh, so I wrote a piece of mm-hmm. paper uh, for my class. And one other thing I mm-hmm. said was our culture, like American culture, right? uh-huh. the Asian culture in general, yeah. we emphasize on sports. Mm-hmm. American culture is most. If you do really good in sports, mm-hmm. man, your parents congratulate you. You get trophy. You get mm-hmm. award. If you do good in school, yeah. you get a nice certificate, you get a high grade point average, uh-huh. and you're chasing the clout, the grade, uh-huh. right? You get a, you, you get an award for sports and academic, right? Mm. But I wish that there was more chance when the teacher said, you know what? I'm mm. going to give you an A because you were polite. I'm mm. going to give you an A for being kind. Mm. And so we need to transfer the positive message. Mm. And not just a trophy right there that said you did good in sports, but said you want you you're a good person, you get an A. Mm. How about that? When you're kind mm. to your classmate, you get an A. Yeah. And when we wish we we reinforce that at home, when parents start to reinforce at home, that remind their kid that they're good at mm-hmm. certain things, and not just always sports or academics, mm. right? But also that you know what, I see what you did today. You're a really good kid. And so when we reinforce that, it made them believe that wait a minute, I might not be good in sports. I might be the smartest kid uh-huh. in school. 
But my mom said I'm a good person, mm-hmm. and that registered to how you develop yourself as an adult. Mm. You see yourself as a good person. You try to emulate that constantly, the reinforcement, positive image that you have. Yeah. That's what we need to do more. Like remind people they're good, mm. right? And I don't, I don't have to tell you you're beautiful. I don't have to tell you you're smart. Mm. You already know that. But mm. sometimes I say, man, that was a good job, or something mm. you did was nice. You are kind. Mm. They deserve that reward too. It's good, right? Yeah, um, and I know that um, you are involved in the nonprofit organization Fear for Breakfast. Can you share a little bit more about what you guys do and what um, I guess the mission, the purpose of Fear for Breakfast is? All right, let me get my phone. So I can read the mission. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm not gonna verbatim uh-huh. give you the missions, but the uh-huh. overall message. But but Fear for Breakfast is we want to bring. Healings, emotional mm. and mental healing to everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in our nonprofit, we actually uh, run classes. We develop programs, workshops mm. to help you understand personal development, gang prevention, victim impacts, uh, and uh, criminal thinking, criminal addictive mm. behavior, right? So we have mm. a lot of criminal addictive behavior. We don't understand why. Mm. Uh, we love gambling. We like to... Uh, uh, almost every addictive behavior we can address that right mm. we teach people how to address that but beside that we also do community outreach mm. uh, we have people to go to a nursing home to talk to the elderly people we we have uh, our recreational uh, environmental uh, uh, secretary uh-huh. she will help clean the streets because she loves the recycling uh, but mm. our mission is mm. not more of rehabilitation but as far as preventions mm. how do we send our message out to educate these younger people or people in general, to educate them to not choose to go still, mm. but choose to do something else. How do we educate them to say, it's not okay to be mm. used violent to solve your problem, yeah. but to use communication, effective communication to solve your problem. So now we're addressing their core belief. Mm. Why do you get that core belief? And why do you think it's okay yeah. to solve the problem in that manner? So our classes teach you mm. to rewire your brain and mm. I was telling a friend when you can talk to certain people uh-huh. you can tell it's like you bought a house and when you turn the light switch on the lights don't go on mm-hmm. so you know what you do you got to rewire the whole house mm. and sometimes it's just like the brain we yeah. have to rewire the whole brain and not just one section and our mission is to educate people on mm. how to change the core belief or the behavior to one of negative to something positive mm. wow that's good um so on that note, um, do you feel like you you've been able to do a lot of that work yourself? And what was that process like for you? A lot of time, dedications, and hard work. Mm. Uh, me and my partner Toy, we went mm. and actually we did almost everything that that you can expect of us. Actually, more mm. and and sometimes people don't understand. Nonprofit don't mean you get paid. It's actually mm. free. Uh, right now, we're just doing that out of our own pocket. We spend mm-hmm. our own time and money on, to facilitate the classroom, mm-hmm. buying food and having an event and meeting with people, mm-hmm. driving people here and there. So I think we did it four times already. I mean, people get out of prison. Mm-hmm. Some of them have no strong support system. Mm-hmm. So what I do is I drive up there, pick them up, take them out to eat, go shopping, and just show them a good time, something positive, right? And yeah, I remind yeah. them, look, I just got out too. But instead of choosing go back and tell my friend, I choose something positive. And so I want to give them a sense of support mm. that you can have with us. And so I've done that multiple times, and mm. it has cost me a lot of money. And I travel a lot of 
with my partner. Uh-huh. Uh, but it's rewarding to see these people coming out and say, you know what, thank you for being there. Mm. Just like Mike said. For sure. Uh, we gave him some some reinforcement that, hey, mm. support is real. We're not going to abandon you just because yeah. you got out. Because we don't want you to turn back to the old you. Yeah, yeah. And so we do a lot of stuff like that, too. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think something that, you know, just like meeting you that I've been inspired by is I think a lot of people do things that they regret and they feel remorseful about. But not a lot of people do something about it to create change so that your actions are, are not repeated and are not passed down. But I feel like what you're doing is you're actively doing things to prevent kids from going that route because you understand and you have lived out the consequences of committing a crime. And it's like, wow, like that that's inspiring. And that I think that's such a story of like that second chance. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, this is a final question. This is a question that I ask all my guests on my podcast. Um, so a lot of my listeners on this podcast are in their 20s and 30s. Um, so if you were to write a letter to young leaders who are in their 20s and 30s, a letter that begins with these two words, dear millennials, what would you write? Well, that's, I mean, that's a tough one. So, uh, Dear millennial, that's a tough one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Put me on the spot right uh-huh. there. I guess I want to tell them that you can't take life too seriously or mm-hmm. you overwhelm yourself with mm-hmm. stress and worry and problems of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have to take a moment to breathe mm-hmm. and relax. And if some people are close to your friends that tell you you're this and you're that and you're not this and you're not doing certain things you have to ask yourself this question how do I define myself Mm. and not let them define me and so you have to go out there and do things that make you happy because at the end of the day when you look back you're going to regret a lot of stuff you should have done that make you happy and Mm. so don't overwhelm yourself with too much stress Uh, take on too many things that you cannot handle and just prioritize do what's the most important, mm-hmm. right? And just do one thing at a time. And don't let anybody redefine you. You have to redefine yourself. Mm, that's good. Um, and for those who are listening, they want to support what you guys are doing, stay connected, where can they go to find your stuff? Uh, please find us on Fear for Breakfast or look it up at Google. Uh, you will see us there. And we have our mission statement and what mm-hmm. we do and who we are. Uh, you can support us by signing up as a membership or subscribe to our video channel. Uh-huh. Subscribe and share. We would love to have more people involved. Yeah. And we're going to be holding groups and meetings, so just contact us. Uh, that way, we can have a more bigger broadcast. Awesome. Well, awesome. thank you. Nice. Yeah, thank you so much for being on the Millennial Life School podcast. Thank you so much for being here and for what you are doing and creating change in the world. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Hey guys, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Uh, some of the things that this episode and re-listening to the conversation that I had with John really got me thinking is about the importance of knowing and understanding yourself and also the importance of instilling a healthy sense of self-esteem for people at a young age. 
And I actually heard someone say this in one of their uh, workshops at Fear for Breakfast. And someone said this, those who are closest to the problem have the solution. So I've been inspired by John and his organization and what they're doing to be a solution and to be an example of hope for people who are inside. So if you guys want to learn more about what they do and support their organization, you can go to fearforbreakfast.org. And if you enjoyed this episode or just have been learning a thing or two from this podcast, I would really appreciate it if you can leave a review and share with other people. It's free to leave a review and to share, but it really helps us a lot and we can help more people learn and grow together. So thank you so much for being here. And also just thinking about what John said about grades and everything. If you were kind to people around you today, thank you for being kind. I give you an A plus for being a kind person today. So thank you. And I'll talk to you guys in the next episode. Bye.